This is Steel's Real Life, the podcast about real outdoor people with your host, Joe Thomas. Real Life with Joe Thomas is presented by Steel, maker of a full line of gasoline and battery handheld outdoor power equipment. Find yours at SteelUSA.com. Yeah, this is Steel's Real Life, a podcast about real outdoor people. I'm Joe Thomas, and I'm here today with my long-standing co-host, famous outdoor producer, and my good buddy, Jim Kramer. What is up, Jim? Joe Thomas, what's happening with you today? Almost Halloween. My favorite time of year. And we've got a pretty interesting guest today, uh, a guy we've known for a long time. Tell me a little bit about Mike Sullivan. Mike Sullivan, I, I mean, his, his reputation in the steel timber sports is about as long-running and as good as, you, as it gets. And I know Mike not really from just the timber sports, but he and I have been hunting buddies for a long time. And, you know, I usually don't – the East Coasters and I, we, really, we don't really mesh. Well, Mike's from Connecticut. He's one of the guys that, that I've known a long time and I actually get along with. That's, that's well, from that's the amazing. East Coast. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I just, mean, people you've known a long time and you still get along with them? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's something. Mike, what's up, buddy? What's up, Joe? Jim, how's it going? <laughs> Doing great, Mike. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Excellent. So what part of the world are you in right now? I, I, I would bet. This is the the whitetail rut is starting to sneak up on us here in southern Ohio. I bet you're pretty close to us right now, aren't you? I'm real close. You see, you know that I'm right here in Ohio right now, southern Ohio, getting ready to sit my first sit tonight, actually, in uh, my new farm. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's funny that when we're out, Mike, and, and, and we're out in the public and people come up and meet you and they want to talk about they want to talk about the steel timber sports and your history as a lumberjack. And and you're you're gracious and you're always talking to these people and you sign autographs. But I always listen to you just like right now. I listen to you light up when it comes to talking about hunting whitetails. And, and we're going to get into that a little bit deeper. But uh it's a big part of your life, isn't it? The whitetail hunting and managing your farm and all that type of thing. Uh, it's 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 huge for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a, it's you know it's a great love, a passion. I call it a passion. It's just something about it gets into your blood, gets into your system, and just you you just can't. It, it, it's it's like spring training in baseball. You know, when that, that rolls around, boy, hey, the blood starts flowing and everything gets going and you just can't wait to do what you love to do. Yeah, well, yeah, well I'm going to take you back a little bit right now. I'm going to take you back to, to, to the beginning. I always love to hear where our guests come from. You know, I've known you probably for 20 years, but uh, there had to be some influence in your life early on. I mean, you're from Connecticut. I mean, come on. When I think of Connecticut, I'm thinking of Hartford. I'm thinking of, uh, yeah. of, of the city. And how did you become an outdoorsman first and then into, you know, leading into the, the steel timber sports? Just give me a little history on how that all went down. Well, probably the, this, if, you know, everybody, like you said, Connecticut is always that state that people think of the Hartford, the insurance capital of the world, all that's all just one big city. But I live in the northwest corner of Connecticut. It's a very, and it's a very rural area, a lot of, a lot of woods, a lot of open woods. Um, one of the best uh, red oak producing uh, tree uh, for lumber in the, in the world. I mean, we do have tremendous red oak up there. 
so we we have a pretty good deer population it's not great and we don't have it's nothing like ohio but we do have some big body deer because they do eat well and whatever but um how i got into it and it's it's gonna be crazy is my dad he's not a hunter but he's a trapper my dad started trapping he's 85 years old now and he started trapping when he was 10 years old and he's still trapping today i actually talked to him on the way out here and trapping season starts november 1st uh he's already pumped up he's ready to go 85 and he's still doing it I, that's and unbelievable he's still- He's still doing it. Yeah, he's still doing it, and uh, he's in great shape. Um, so I saw, I got out in the woods with him. He used to carry me on his back when I was four years old and stuff like that, trapping. He'd come home from work. We'd go out at night, check his traps after work, and, you know, and obviously whatever. So I was in the woods when I was four or five years old and just, uh, you know, out there in the dark a lot of times because he had to do it after work and, you know, just experience in the outdoors. And I learned a lot from him about the woods and and i never thought much about deer hunting all the way up through my life because i you know i got into baseball i was an athlete and played a lot of sports baseball whatever and then i trapped and you know the funny thing about it is is my dad wouldn't let me play basketball because that's during trapping season (laughs) (laughs) i I couldn't play basketball so i never i played basketball one year he got mad at me and didn't talk to me so i had to not play the next (laughs) year and i i never played again so uh so i didn't play basketball i just played the spring and uh fall uh, you know nothing during the winter late fall or winter sports so um that's how i got into my introduction to the to the outdoors kind of thing through my dad and and just as time went on and whatever i i just got a hankered for deer hunting i had a lot of buddies that kind of deer hunted and stuff and and you know i knew them they were close friends of mine i played baseball with and whatever and and I just said, I got to give it a shot. And I just started deer hunting. I didn't have anybody kind of teaching me or anything. I just, we had plenty of woods around there right across the street from my dad's house. And so I just said, well, I'm just going to do it. So I kind of self-taught myself and didn't really have any kind of mentor in the deer hunting. Cause like I said, my dad didn't hunt. So I remember, you know, to this day, I can remember all the firsts, all the mistakes, all the things I've done wrong, yeah. all the, you know, just, you know, Joe, it's just, it's the, the the only person that can teach you in anything. My philosophy is yourself. You can only teach yourself something. Somebody can't teach you. They can tell you about it, explain it, whatever. But you have to teach yourself. So it's one of those things. And uh, so I kind of self taught myself, and that's how I got involved with the outdoors. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's funny you should say that because yeah, I, you know, my whole life has been hunting and and bass fishing. And my dad really didn't do either one. My dad was very supportive, but uh, yep. I had to learn through trial and error the deer hunting. And my dad actually came along and started fishing later in, later in life because he wanted to be with me and spend time with me. But you're right, the trial and error, and, and in the early days, we didn't have a lot of deer, so that made it even harder. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of change gears a little bit. You've mentioned something, and, and you're 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 kind of kind of bashful about it, but I know a little bit about your base. You actually were quite a baseball player, and I know that you actually played uh, semi-pro ball. Tell me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I was always, a, you know, like I said, a, a big into sports, loved all types of sports. And my number one love in sports was actually football. But our high school didn't have a football team. We were a very small town and we didn't have a football team. So we had a soccer team. So I played soccer and I played baseball, two sports. And I love baseball. I really loved it. And I played the game because I liked the game. You know, and as a kid, you know, everybody dreams about, you know, oh, yeah, made major leagues, make it in the pros and, you know, the ninth, you know, ninth inning of the World Series, hitting a home run, all that stuff. You dream about that and kind of think about it. But it never really, you know, back then didn't, you know, wasn't a reality. You never thought, man, you know, it's, it's a long shot. It's just a very difficult thing to get to the major leagues. A lot of luck, talent, luck and a lot of other things. But uh, so I. I just played baseball for the love of it, and when I when I became a junior in uh, high school, uh, just all of a sudden one day uh, there was a scout at the game and came up to me and said something, and we a buddy of mine uh, was first baseman, and my best friend John was the third baseman. They they kind of invited us to uh, this tryout camp down in Derby, Connecticut. It was just a, for a, for everybody. It was a bunch of people. It was hundreds of kids. So we went down there, and uh, you know he had his Cincinnati Red uniform on the scout. It was pretty cool. And we we you know the Cincinnati Reds was my favorite team. Johnny Bench was my idol. Yes. My favorite character. Yes. And, uh, oh, we get Kramer. When you start talking about the big red, the machine, big red machine, I start getting a little excited. Kramer, he's. I'm looking up right now. I've got yeah. that the uh, cover of the newspaper is up yeah. framed on his wall right here. He's yes. crazy. Huge, yeah. huge Cincinnati. Reds so you got fan. something in common with Kramer. Yeah. I don't know. One thing. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, it was that was my team, and and still is today. And that was, and that was a uh, you know a big uh, you know a big deal to just to see a Cincinnati red uniform, you know, kind of thing live, whatever, and, and, and talking to somebody like that. And uh, so we, we just had a trial camp and we were just having fun. Trust me. We went there just for that, to have fun, whatever. And um, I just, I had a day of a lifetime, one of those days, you know, just um, they, you know, they had a simulated game. Um, they, they timed everybody in the 40 and they put the fastest guy at the camp on first base, told him to steal. And I threw him out twice. <laughs> then I picked wow. him off. Then I picked him off second base <laughs> and then uh, I got up one time and I hit a home run and the guy walked up to me. I was kind of, we were just walking away. We were just like the camp kind of broke up, everything, whatever. He, the guy said, thank you, you know, for coming and all that to everybody. And we were walking back to the car and the, the guy come over to me, the scout and said, did you ever think about playing, you know, major league baseball? And I go, I kind of said to him, yeah, you think about it, but you know, not really. I go, I just love playing baseball. And he says, well, you ought to start thinking about it. So, and, that's uh, big. that's I, big when a guy says yeah. that to you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. You know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, really? And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> so, you know, the next few games he showed up and then the word gets out quick when something happens like that and somebody shows up at a camp does something like that it's amazing word gets out quick and then different scouts toronto showed up uh phillies different scouts showed up and the rest of the season and in my senior year they all continued to come to those games some games they'd come and hide so they didn't, <laughs> so you wouldn't know they were there to see if played different when they weren't there or when they were there. And, uh, cause our, our, obviously our high school coach, Mr. Titus, he, uh, he ended up being a scout for the Cincinnati Reds when he 
retired from school teaching and being the school high school coach. But, um, he, uh, you know, he probably talked to the guy and said, you know, Hey, we're, we're trying to win a state championship here too. You know, it's kind of, you know, we don't want our, one of our best players, uh, being all kinds of nervous because you're showing up at games. And so they did made it, made it really subtle. They didn't really, you know, like come up to you after every game and talk to you and whatever. So yeah, I had a pretty good season, whatever. And then, it was uh, the one of the, towards the end of the season. The guy said, "We're we're we're probably going to try and draft you," and I said, "Great, you know, whatever." <laughs> sure. My favorite team, my favorite team. I'm going to get to maybe meet you know Johnny Bench, all this, whatever. That would be great. So it ended up the Toronto Blue Jays actually wanted me. And at that time, they were an expansion team back in the late '70s, and uh, it uh, they wanted me, and they, and they so the Reds ended up having to do a deal with them to get me earlier or whatever, let me slip through the the cracks a little bit to get to the the pick. It was a number twelve pick to get down to the twelfth pick, and uh, that that happened. So the Red, the Reds ended up getting me. I didn't find that out till later, but that's what happened, and. And then that was just it. Damn, next thing you know, I'm in Florida spring training at you know at, in Tampa at the you know where the Reds had their spring training back then, and uh, couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just it was just like, is this really real? You know, and uh, just uh, it was just a, it was an unbelievable experience to to come into a, a spring training, and now you know on our baseball team, you know, there wasn't many guys that could throw the ball better than me. I mean, the only reason I didn't pitch was probably because I loved to catch and I was a good catcher, you know, so they didn't use me as a pitcher. So, but, uh, but now everybody there has a great arm. Yeah. <laughs> every, yeah. every catcher there had a great arm. Every catcher could hit the ball. You know, everybody could hit, everybody could throw, everybody could run. And most people could run faster than me, you know, kind of thing. Cause I was a catcher, but so it was just a whole experience and, you know, and I didn't even get to graduate because when you get drafted, you go straight into this, the rookie league. And I went to Billings, Montana, the, which Joe and I Bill- went up there. Billings Bisons. Yeah. 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 We went up there and, uh, and, uh, you remember, you yeah, know, I do. went to the old, we went hunting up in Montana and uh, the old stadium was still there. My name was still up on the wall. It was, <laughs> that was very cool. That was, that was a pretty cool thing. And I played on a team that was like only a couple of percentage points away from being the winningest professional baseball team in history. We were like 84 and 10 or something like that. Wow. It was unbelievable. And it was a stacked team of a bunch of college kids. Like the catcher who was catching ahead of me, because I sat on the bench, I was only 18. I had just turned 18. And, uh, 24 years old out of college and you know i had no chance of you know beating a guy out like that i mean he was he was a mature he was a man i mean he was a real you know a good catcher and whatever and in, and i always tell my friends and i think i told joe this story that catcher if you've ever seen the movie bull durham his name was dan surrett i just remember to this day and he was crash he was the catcher, <laughs> he was catcher. He was exactly like him. He was a good hitter. He was a guy. He came. He came in on the bus from a road trip. There was a girl there. A woman picked him up in a car. He took off, and we didn't see him until the next day when he showed up for you know practice or whatever the next game. And it was just like Bull Durham. That's that movie. Awesome. Is, that movie is so like the minor league 
back then anyways it was incredible it was after i saw that movie i go there he is. That's what it was like. Living. <laughs> he was he was a player. What, you know, he what, player, what, what, I, what I remember, Mike, is we walked up to that stadium. They've got a new one there now, but this has been several years ago. And right. and I said, you told me that you played there. And I go, dude, we got to get inside. And we walked yep. around and all the doors were, were, were chained up. And, and I, I, I just, I visioned, we were filming for, for the hunting show. And I thought, man, right. we could get Mike in there. It'd be cool. And some security guard let us in and, and we went out on the field and I remember I filmed you behind home plate and I could remember you looking around and you're not usually at a loss for words. I mean, I mean that in a good way. And I just remember yep. you just kind of like looked around and you took it all in. But the coolest part of the whole thing was, like you said, your picture and your name was still on the wall. But there was a yep. guy in his office and, and we were leaving and we just happened to catch catch him out of the corner of our eye. And the dude looked like he was like 94 years old. And he was, was he not one of your coach, yep. if not your head coach back then? He was the general manager. The general yeah. manager. Wow. And he remembered you, remembered you yep. on the spot. I, I remember yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. of that team being what that team was, because it ended up being, I mean, it, there was like I, four or five guys went to the major leagues off that team. Skeeter Barnes, Nick Asoski, um, Tommy Lawless. And then I think there was a couple of other guys that were on that team that actually ended up going to the major leagues, which is very very rare. It's one out of 500 minor leaguers makes it to the major leagues. Wow. So it's, it's very rare to have that amount of kids, you know, on a team like that, make it to the major. So that was one of the greatest teams, you know, kind of in the history of the minor leagues, I'm sure with their record and everything. So it was, that's probably why he definitely remembered that on the spot. What a definitely. cool thing. Well, you know, obviously competition and athleticism has always been a big part of your life. I mean, we we know the outdoors is still a big part of your life. But what you are most known for uh, is the fact that you're one of the top and have been one of the top steel timber sports competitors for years, decades. And I, I give me tell me how a guy from Connecticut who's playing minor league baseball – vaults himself into the spotlight on the steel timber sports series and professional lumberjacking. There's got to be a, 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 a little story there. Yeah, there, there is a little, there, everything. It's amazing. Yeah. I think, you know, Joe and I, you know, we talk a lot, you know, we sit in a blind and we talk about stuff and, you know, we've always, I think we've talked before about how that, you know, your life is a tree, man. It's basically coming up on the trunk and it's in one direction. And then there's all these branches and all these turns that you could take in your life and things that happen that determine which way you go, where you go decisions. And there's just could one decision could turn and make you go to the whole different side of that tree than where you were actually going. And when I, with baseball, I got injured, a shoulder injury, and it just, it was bad. And it, it was just, it never got better. And obviously back then, Tommy John hadn't even been really discovered kind of yet. So there wasn't that kind of ability to repair your arm and stuff. So, and once, and that was my big thing in baseball was defense. I was a, you know, really good defensive catcher. And um, so when I lost that ability that you know that kind of wrecked you know and that that goes around baseball just like when they find somebody good you get hurt 
that goes around baseball the same way. So you kind of, I had a few scouts call me, a few teams call me after and, you know, and said, Hey, how's your arm? You know, cause they knew what had happened. And uh, they had a couple of tryouts that didn't work out. And uh, so I kind of floundered a little bit, you know, I was only young still. I was only 21 and almost 22. And I um, uh, just, you know, I had no idea what I was going to do. And, I, uh, you know, I ended up uh, actually getting a job uh, with the state of Connecticut, working on the highway crew because just needed to get a job somewhere. I had to go to work. And uh, the guy that I had to kind of interview with ran the tree department for the state of Connecticut named Jim Colbert. Well, he lived just down the road from me and I never knew him. He was only, he was down on the major road from, he lived in Winston. I lived in Colebrook and, uh, I was driving by his house. This was when I was younger. I was 16 years old. I was in my truck and I was driving by and all his cows were out on the road and I got out of the truck and it was in a dangerous spot. And I pushed all his cows back up in through the gate. I closed the gate and I went up to the house and I knocked on the door and his mother was there. And she answered and said, um, uh, no, Jim's not home. Thanks for putting the cows in. And uh, she said, uh, he's at he's at the Lumberjack World Championships. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, oh, wow, I, that's cool. You know, and uh, so I never thought anything of it after that. But he called me a couple of weeks later. He called me at my dad's house and uh, thanked me and everything and whatever. So that was my first meeting with Jim Culver. And then this was the guy I happened to have to go through an interview with he worked for the state of Connecticut and he remembered me. Obviously I got the job. Um, yeah. and, uh, I would hope so. Yeah. Pushing all those cows, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, and I said, he said to me, he goes, you know, I said, are you, I am, that's right. You were at the lumberjack world championships. I go, hey, I used to see that on ABC. Why will sports when I was a kid, you know? And he said, yeah, you probably seen me and whatever. And I said, yeah, I always wanted to try that. I said, man, that, that was pretty awesome. He said, well, I gave it a shot. Come on down the house. He said, uh, I live, uh, you know, he's told, you know, whatever. He says, I, uh, I'll show you how to do it. So I went down there one day and he busted out a crosscut saw and we made a few cuts and, you know, I kind of liked it and we saw it for a few times and they say, hey, guys, you know, he says, you want to learn how to chop and teaching somebody how to chop that's never done it is a very scary thing. You know, you guys have been around it. You've seen the axes, you know how sharp they are and whatever. So it's kind of scary yeah. to teach somebody, you know, you don't want somebody to cut their foot off or cut themselves really bad. <laughs> we, we don't yeah. let, no. we don't ever let Jim have one. No, <laughs> Jim never. No, I'm not, one. I'm not allowed to have anything like that. Mike. No sharp object. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and, uh, so he, he taught me how to chop and I kind of, you know, went, went down there every once in a while. He kept teaching me a bit and then I really, took to it i really liked it and jim said you, you know he says you got you know you're you're a good you know student you know it's coming to you pretty quick and i said to him i go wow i said i i thought you know when i watched on white world sports i said there's these guys from new zealand australia and you know all these other countries i said i said you know i heard that you know those those guys were the the best in the world. And, uh, he said, yeah, the Australians, Jim Alexander and Jim Wass and Ron Hartel. And back in the, those days, those were the big names. And he said, yeah, well, if you really want to, you know, get real good at this, you need to, you need to go to Australia or New Zealand. So I, I competed in my first year with Jim 
went around, went up to Maine. My first show <laughs> was in April, Bangor, Maine. It was a- actually an outdoor event. It was a an outdoor show for you know hunting, fishing, and whatever. And we they had a little contest there, and I actually. And this is a trivia question in timber sports. What two events did Mike Sullivan win at his first competition? And nobody, you know, and there, the, the two events were trap setting and bolt splitting, which is splitting, <laughs> splitting a piece of wood that has a red dot on the top of it, a one inch red dot. You have to split it into four pieces and a piece of that red has to be on all four pieces. And I did it in 2.3 seconds. Whoa. And I won that easy, and I won the trap setting contest easy, and and they let me in. The guys from Maine did the same thing that you just mentioned, Joe, about a guy from Connecticut. I walked up to him and said, "Hey, hey, can I try this trap setting thing?" You know, and knowing that I trapped my whole life, my dad, I, I could set traps. I knew exactly what I was doing. Sandbagging, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they went and they were like, the "Connecticut, yeah, go ahead, give it a shot." <laughs> I won it easy. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so that's a trivia question. So that was my first show, and um, I cut. They cut square wood there, which is ten by tens, which is something they don't do a lot of anymore. But back in the day, we used to cut a lot of square wood, just easy to get, mill it out, and it's you know instead of hand peeling it or getting it lathed. Um, and I cut my ten by ten in thirty three seconds. I didn't place, and you know Jim said that was pretty good. And then, uh, and that was in 1983. And then 1989, I set the world record in the 10 by 10, and I cut it in 10.2 seconds. Holy cow! And, and today, that is still the record. Today, nobody has beat that record. Yeah, that is still the record today. And uh, so that's kind of was my whole introduction. And then I. Kind of said to Jim, I go, I want to get real good to this. He said, well, you got to go to Australia. And there was one guy that came from New Zealand every year, Jim Wass, and I had met him one time. And uh, he kind of nonchalantly said, hey, you ever come to New Zealand? Let me know. Give me a call. So that winter, I got on a plane, and I flew to Auckland, New Zealand, and I had his phone number, and I called him from the airport, and I said, hey, Jim, I'm in New Zealand. Think he can help me out? And he said, yeah, come on, I'll come pick you up. And that started everything with the New Zealand, Australia, going over there. I went over there for seven years in a row. So I kind of competed year-round for the next seven years. And that's kind of really launched the whole kind of thing, my career, and really starting to win and get better and win titles, overalls, this, that, whatever, and become, you know, the chopper that I, you know, became. And, um, which led to, you know, a 10 by 10 record and all that kind of stuff. And the eight by eight record, I also own that one. I cut an eight by eight in 6.3 seconds, which still holds today. That record still holds today too. And, um, that's how it kind of just went on from there. And then the Timber Sports came in in 85, which was kind of in the middle of that whole progression when I was going to Australia and New Zealand. And the first SEAL Timber Sports Championship I won. I won the inaugural Timber, Timber Sports Championship. And um, and then, you know, went through the whole, God, what would it, what it end up being? I retired a couple of years ago. So it was like 30 32 years or 30 something years of timber sports. I, I went to everyone, you know, placed continually in the top, you know, 10 
pretty much every year. He only missed the finals maybe two times in 30-something years, two, three times in, in 33 years. So had a good run, won, won you know, events in the finals. And, uh, you know, and that was basically – they run it a little different today. Today it's only the Americans. Americans compete in it, and then they, the best American goes to Europe right. to compete – and their their event over there back then everybody from all over the world came to the timber sports in america and competed in our timber sports so we were competing every year against the best guys in the world you know it wasn't just americans it was everybody you know the the david Balstons, the jason winyards the you know dale rines the you know just name name after name from new zealand and australia and canada you know and europe could come over and compete. So it was the competition was a lot tougher back then to make it into the finals than it is today. You know, like a couple of times, I think I ended up, I got in the final, I ended up like ninth and I was the best American. Right. <laughs> you know, wow. so, yeah. You know, I was the best American at that point, you know, and today, if you were the best American, you go to, you know, the world, the, the world, the world timber sport finals in Europe, you know, yeah. so, but back then they didn't, you know, so it was a little different. It's progressed and that's how the sport has progressed. And it's gotten a, you know, it's changed a lot through the 30 years and, uh, it's uh, just even kind of the way they run it a little bit uh, with the eliminations and stuff that they do now. It's not just a point all points. And when you get to the finals, they run two. Or, it's kind of like the chase in NASCAR. They run a couple events and then eliminate from there, yeah. run a couple more, eliminate. So you get down and what and what kind of kills me, too, is. Today, the last event is the hot saw. The whole thing ends up on the hot saw. The one event, the four guys that make it to the final after all the elimination, like the chase, the hot saw is the event that you can win or lose the steel timber sports. And as you know, Joe and Jim, you've seen, you know, and you know that probably through the, my history, that's my best event. That's your event. You know, yeah, everybody knows you event. as the world champion, the best of, it's ever been. And uh, that would play to your strength right now, wouldn't it? That would have played to my strength, yes. Yes, definitely <laughs> would have played to my strength. So. That totally would not have been fair if it all came down to the hot saw and Mike got to do that. Oh, because of course it would, as long as he wins. <laughs> well, that's right, okay. Yeah, as long as, as he won. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mike, you, you're – to have a prolific career, I mean, I, I kind of uh, parallel it a lot to to, to, to to my career in bass fishing. I mean, there, there's a lot of really hot young guys that come out, and you see them come and go, you see them come and go, you see them come and go. And, and to be able to survive in any sport, bass fishing for me was 30 years. Timber sports to you has been over 30 years, uh, you know, when you figure all your competitions. What what would you attribute your your uh, – prolific nature and the built fact you've been able to do it for so many years, not just do it, but do it and compete at the top level. You, there has to be something that sets you apart from everybody else because I would have to, you know, in bass fishing, there's Rick Clun won a tournament recently at 73 years old. I said, you know wow. what? All these other guys come to me when you're 73 and win a national tournament. And then I'll say you're the best until then it's Rick Clun. You know what I mean? And in, right, in yeah. timber sports, uh, what what has been your 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 magic bullet for longevity? 
Uh, well, I mean, you've known me for a, a, a long time and you, you kind of know my character of, you know, I'm a very stubborn guy. I'm very, no, you know, no, what, what, wait, <laughs> stubborn. <laughs> I would, I would say, uh, uh, solid. Is focused, what I would say. focused, focused, solid. really solid, focused yeah. guy. I'm very focused. I'm very <laughs> driven. Yeah. I'm very driven and I'm persistent. I'm persistent in everything that I do, and I'm I'm kind of meticulous too. You know that, Joe. I'm yep. I'm not just a let it kind of oh yeah that, that's good enough for that let it go kind of thing, and 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 those are qualities you need in the timber sports. You need you know you obviously you need to keep yourself in shape, and I've always done that. I have never had a problem. I love working out. I keep myself in shape. I have no problem training. You know I could push through injuries. I've you know I've chopped the whole years with elbow injuries and whatever you just got to keep pushing forward and whatever but being persistent and and just you know and, with, and what that does for me is it gives me the confidence when and in sports are all about confidence you have to have confidence going in you have to have, you know you have to want you know think that you you have to know that you can win you you know and you and what gives you that confidence is your preparation you know being ready and you know guys have always teased me i don't want to say tease but it's what i think could be more of a jealousy i don't know a tease a jealousy because of that um about my hot saw because my hot saw has always been the best looking hot saw out there <laughs> but the reason it's the best looking hot saw is because i take care of it and the secret of longevity in a hot saw and consistency in a hot saw, any engine type event, any racing event that there's a mechanical engine or anything, the failure, you know, you're going to lose how many races and stuff, especially when you only have one chance to pull that pull starter, make your cuts. You're going to lose a lot of races because it didn't start. Something went wrong. The chain came off, this, that, whatever. And all that stuff comes down to preparation, yeah. comes down to being prepared, looking after your saw. That's why I clean it. It's always clean because when you clean it, you see stuff. And if you, if you want the truth, one of the biggest things that I'm prideful about in this sport is, you know, I've won world championship, whatever, but is – I think myself and people have said I've changed the open hot saw event. I've revolutionized it by the way that I do things. Because I had a guy come up to me, a young guy. He's, you know, the early 30s at uh, Webster Springs, not this year, but last year down in West Virginia. Big hot saw event we had down there. And he comes up to me. He goes, you know, you know how we learn how to hot saw? We watched you on that video you did for the Timber Sports back in 2000, whatever. I don't even remember what it was. I explained, I went through the whole process of how to run a hot saw and whatever. He says, and they all kind of, you can watch them all and they've kind of have my style. They, they, the way they hold their legs, the way they put their legs, the way they kind of stand and, and their technique emulates mine. Everybody's a little different, but kind of in a way emulates mine. So I'm kind of, that's one of the things I'm kind of proud of that I kind of took the sport to kind of another level because of my persistence, the way, and now guys show up at shows, their hot saws look good. They got nice, clean hot saws. They look real good. They're sharp. Less and less guys have problems with them. They start now because they, they're realizing, you know, you don't pay attention. You don't do things right. You're not going to win because there's going to be somebody there with a good hot saw that is doing it and they're going to win. Yeah. So 
it's kind of changed the whole sport. And the hot sauce today is the is the most competitive. The last five or so four years is the most competitive it's ever been ever been yeah and, know, they, and they say that the imitation is the highest form of flattery man and, you know that video has become i knew that for a fact that it's become a video hot saw bible right. is what that's been for these guys right yeah yeah they, they all kind of watched it and you know and a lot of people told me i was an idiot for doing it <laughs> you're, you know you're teaching everybody how to you know hot saw you know what you're doing i said yeah i taught them the basics i didn't tell them everything right. you know but I taught them a lot of the basics that are going to make them better right off the bat. And, you know, you know, I've never had any pride in going to a, a competition and, you know, I make a run on a log that wasn't really great. And then this guy cut out, that guy cut the line and this guy is saw stalled and I won. whoop de do yeah. you know, the best wins are when everybody runs and you, you know, the six guys in the final, their discs hit the deck and they're all within, you know, five tenths of a second and you win, you know, that's, those are the wins you really go. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, I won, I won that one, you know, nobody, nobody gave it to me. Nobody screwed up. You know, we all ran good and I won, yeah. you know, so, and then that, you know, and obviously, you know, you're, you're in a sport like that. And if you love it and you're passionate about it, you, you want it to get better. You want it to improve. You want to see it get better. And, and, you know, just, you know, no different than the Paul Bunyan show in Cambridge. You know, I took that over and moved it to the next level of making it more like a timber sport event and took that to the next level. And now, you know, huge, they get huge successful. Five, yes. Yes. Yeah. They get five, 6,000 people in that stands when the, you know, we kick off the show yeah. and, you know, I remember going to that, you know, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, if you had, if you had 500 people, that was a great crowd, you know, kind of thing. So, right. you know, I pride myself in just making the sport better, yeah. just trying to improve the sport and leave that to, you know, whoever's coming up next. I want to say one thing. You never have to guess what kind of tool is going to be in my hand because steel literally makes a tool for everything I need to do when it comes to my fall uh, landscaping. And you have the entire line of the battery-powered steel tools too, right? Yeah, actually, I have I have a, a, a lot of steel tools, but, yeah. but more recently, I have had an opportunity to, to get a bunch of the battery-operated stuff, and it's amazing. It, it, it's it's light, and it's, it's quiet, and it's efficient. My wife loves using it too, which gives me an extra hand here and there which is very cool and uh you know the, the main thing about it is is i know i've got the right tool for the job and it's always ready to go now you can shop online for steel products and then you go into your dealer and you can pick up the order uh with with your local dealer in your area and they're great about showing you how to operate everything it's a really cool system and uh there's like nine thousand of them across the country and yeah, there's going to be one close to just about everybody. Yeah, for sure. And it's easy to find them online. All you have to do is go to SteelUSA.com and you can find a dealer near you. It's that simple. Well, Mike, one of the, the things that as we do these podcasts, uh, you, you know, these people that, that have, they're rooted in the outdoors. You're no different. But one of the things that I find pretty consistent too is they're family guys. And I, I think I would be remiss to your wife and your kids if I didn't bring that up. Uh, it, it, you know, you've got, you, your wife has been supportive of this for a long time and you've got a couple of boys. Uh, I know that they're, uh, they're, they, they're just getting through college. Just tell me a little bit about your family life and, and how that's progressed with you being on the road as much as you have been. Cause trust me, I lived it. I, I know, I'm, yeah. I know what it's like to be on the road 200 days a year and raise a family. 
family. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. My wife, I met her. I actually met her when I got out of baseball, and I was just learning how to chop. I met her at the same time, so she knows nothing else of me but wood chopping. Yeah. <laughs> so and deer hunting she knows nothing else she knows those she met me with those two things and you know i've progressed through the whole timber sport thing with her you know she used to go to all the shows she's been to australia she's been to new zealand you know with me and through the years there before we had kids and uh you know and then obviously when she had kids she you know stayed home and took care of the kids and we took them to some whatever but it's it's kind of a it's you know it's, it's a rough life on the road they're trying to go to competition and having kids and and but it's a family orientated sport and there is a lot of guys that bring their wives their families you know so it's it is a very very big family orientated sport and uh so they've come, they've grown up it, they've been the world championships, my kids have seen it all, they've chopped, they've actually tried it, they've done it, they know how to chop, they know how to saw, they know how to axe throw, and I, I never pushed them at it, just like I never pushed them into hunting, you know, they've all, they've both hunted, and they've done their thing, and, you know, and I just, you know, it's just one of those you know, that's your life. I'm going to introduce you to it. I'm going to show you it. And I'm not going to push you into it. You know, you want to do it. I'll help you as much as I possibly can or whatever. But, you know, you, you got to lead your own life. And my one son's, he loves working out. I mean, he's into fitness. He works for a big company out in California that's into fitness, online fitness thing, whatever. I'm not even actually sure what he's doing as far as that, <laughs> that goes. Sounds oh, like no, me. He, sounds like me and my oldest. I was yeah. like, yeah, he's traveling right. somewhere right now yeah. doing some video thing. Yeah, right, exactly. And I know he's doing well, and he's 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 taking care of himself, and he's doing well. So I'm, you know, I did my job. I got him to that point. Right. And my youngest son is, yeah, he's in his last year of college, and he's actually getting into your field, Jim, into video, photography, and all that stuff. Same, you know, all that producing, this, that, whatever. Very he's cool. In that. So uh, that's what he wants to do. And uh, hey, Mike, you so, need to shoot. You need to shoot me his contact when this thing's over, because Jim's getting pretty old. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I you never know when I'm going to need a replacement. Yeah. yeah, you never know. And yeah. I have done nothing to revolutionize this business, unlike <laughs> you and the hot saw. Matter of fact, I feel like maybe I've yeah. pulled it down a little bit, but yeah. no, that'll be my yeah, yeah, that'll be my legacy. He's still using Polaroid. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Wait for really the cool. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Uh, well, it's but, it's yeah. pretty cool to see you know to see you you know the the fact that you have been on the road ra- you know successfully raised two great kids. I know your boys and and your wife's great lady. The fact that she put up with you this many years, Mike, is beyond belief. But mine has too. Oh, yeah, it, so uh, <laughs> so I gotta ask. I gotta ask. I know you're wanting to go to the tree stand. You're sitting there looking at your watch right now, going, "I gotta go to the tree stand." I, how much longer is this guy gonna talk? But I just gotta <laughs> ask very simply. So what? is what's in the future for Mike Sullivan? What's next? What's, what still gets you up out of bed in the morning, man? Well, I'll tell you, it just, you know, obviously, you know, I bought my farm. I've, I've actually bought, you know, and sold a couple farms and finally got the farm that I want in Ohio. And I'm looking to, you know, move here. I've started my, my own uh, chainsaw safety training business and that's gotten underway. And I've been doing some training in Kentucky uh, the last few months and actually going to be doing a, a couple, another one here at the end of this month. And uh, kind of had to kind of get that motivated, get that rolling and 
then actually kind of make the transition to this state and uh, move here. And uh, that's kind of one of the things, uh, the wood chopping. You know, I talk about it all the time. I go, you know, it's just I actually talked about it with my son last night on the, uh, my oldest son in uh, out in California. We talked about retiring because we were talking about Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and, you know, the, the, uh, Khabib there who just retired uh, from the UFC there. Last I had his last fight, he won it and his mom wanted him to retire. And, you know, and my son's like going, wow, how could you be 29 and undefeated and retired and this and that? And and I said, yeah, it's it's that's going to be a tough thing. I said, because it's very, you, you very rarely see somebody on top retire very rarely it's it does happen but very rarely because when you're winning it's hard to retire yep it's hard to retire when you're winning if you're still winning it's like it's something you're passionate about you love doing it and if and obviously you're doing it to win and if you're still winning do you really want to retire and i said so i he asked me when are you going to give it up and i said i don't know i said um, I was thinking next year, but that's when this Corona thing happened and we missed the complete 2020 season. I go, well, that just kind of probably extended me another year. <laughs> yep. And, you know, I won the hot Sauce world championships again in 2019. So I'm the current world champion still. And so I've held it for two years without even going. And um, so I, I promised the people at Hayward I would come back and defend it because I was kind of thinking about retiring. So I'm probably going to I'm going to go another year and. You know, pick and choose just those major shows that I want to go to and the shows that I'm running, go to those and whatever. And uh, and then probably maybe the following year I'll go one more time and uh, and that'll probably be that'll probably end it. And I've always been a guy that when I'm done, I'm done. I, I'm, I can't dabble in it. I can't go to it. I can't dabble in it. I can't, you know, I can't, you know, I just can't. For a lack of better words, I can't half-ass it. No I problem. I get it. I, I was the same way. When I walked away, it was my time, and I and I, I walked yeah. away. And and I think it's it's a you know it's the end of a of a chapter. But just from what I know about you, Mike Sullivan, I will tell you that uh, I, I you know you're in, in still in amazing shape. You still got uh, you know great drive. And uh, I knowing your just knowing your tenacity, I'll be surprised if this thing doesn't just continue to go year after year after year. And uh, I promise you that everybody out there uh, that, that, that's listening to this right now and all the Steel Timber Sports fans, uh, you know, across the country, across the world that that know you, you know, they admire you. You've set a great example for the sport. And um, and I know Steel and everybody involved with that company and this Timber Sports are are very proud of you. And uh, you know, it's been it's been a fun ride to watch you. And I don't know, man. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna keep keep tuning in because I think you got a lot of years left. Well, I uh, I hope so, and if that's the way it goes, that's the way it goes. It, and I know, like you said, when you retired, you thought you knew it was the right time, and and I just think, you know, I told my son, I said, just it's going to be one of those things. One day, I'm just going to go, you know, that's it, you know, that's it. I've drop, had it. Drop the mic. <laughs> leave the gloves. The leave mic. the gloves in the ring. Yep. Leave the gloves in the ring. Just you know, sell all my equipment and just you know, move on to maybe just, you know, the chainsaw training and then obviously, you know, hunting. I mean, you know, my goal is, you know, hunt until I, you know, I can't get out of a chair, you know, kind of thing, you know, or whatever. 
I'll never stop hunting. I mean, um, you know, we just, there's something about it. You know, we've changed, we've evolved in hunting. We, and that's the one nice thing. I mean, competing in a sport, you can't really, you can evolve a little, you can change a little, you can do certain things and, you know, like events that there's events that I can't win anymore, but there's events that I can, you kind of just adapt and whatever. And you, but not so much as you can with deer hunting and hunting. You can you can change things and make things easier, do things different. To obviously, we don't do what we did when we were 25, 30 years old hunting. I can't do that anymore, you know. But we've changed, and, and so there's just different styles of hunting, different ways to hunt. So you can always be out there, um, you know, and doing it, and just in, you know, and and kind of you've known me a long time. And I enjoy hunting more now than I've ever have. I, I used to just, it used to be kind of a, uh, an athletic sport for me kind of, and now it's not as much that it's more enjoyment. I enjoy it more. I relax a lot more now. Don't get, you know, as fired up about, you know, this big deer, that big deer, not shooting anything and shooting anything, whatever. It's just, I enjoy doing, I love doing all the things that, are around hunting the food plots the cameras the you know just all the things you do to prepare for for hunting i love doing so you know you can adapt that way and then the hunting and the actual pulling the trigger is not as important as it used to be so you know but everybody still wants to shoot a big deer no doubt about it yeah and i I guarantee you like i said that's probably your what's on your agenda for this evening uh mike thank you so much for your time buddy i always you know we're 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 buddies and and in every sense of the word and i I look forward to you know every year getting to spend time with you when you're in southern ohio and uh uh just get out there today and and have a really good time and uh but i want you i want you to know man you've set a a tremendous example for the steel timber sports and, and lumberjacking in general and uh, we were honored to have you on the show, buddy. And uh, just get out there and get in that tree stand and get her done, okay? Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Yep. And uh, like I said, you guys are great friends. Known you a long time. You give a lot of help through the years, videos, this, that, whatever. And I appreciate everything you've done for me. Uh, we appreciate, appreciate you, Mike. Thank you so very much, man. You have a great one. Be good, All Mike. Right, See you, buddy. All right. Good take you. care. Thanks for listening to Steel's Real Life with Joe Thomas. Steel's Real Life is a presentation of Real Outdoors TV. All rights reserved.